And when we saw the kiosk come up in St Kilda, we thought, this is perfect. Like, who does not want to eat a lobster roll on the beach at St Kilda? I absolutely love eating seafood by the sea in summer. But I also reckon the old fish and chips paradigm is due for a bit of an update. Somebody who is seizing that mantle and running with it is Rach Barlow from Claw and Tail, a relatively new business that has two outlets, one in Graysland in Spotswood in Melbourne's West and the other one on iconic St Kilda Beach. Rach, welcome to Dirty Linen. Hi Danny, thanks for having me. It's great to have you on the show and I love what you're doing in St Kilda. Um, it's, uh, well, actually you tell us, what are you doing in St Kilda? Tell us about the Claw and Tail kiosk. Um, we took the opportunity just over a year ago now, the kiosk came up for tender. Um, we already had our little existing business, as you said, Graysland in Spotswood, so we um, primarily, we sell seafood. Primarily, the lobster roll is our, I guess, signature dish. Dish. It's what people ask for. It's what they return to eat time and time again. And when we saw the kiosk come up in St Kilda, we thought this is perfect. Like, who does not want to eat a lobster roll on the beach at St Kilda? As you said, it's a very iconic area. I think tourists coming into Melbourne, it's where they want to head. So. Um, we took the opportunity to, to apply for the tender and won. So, yeah, yay for us. Um, so we've been in there just almost a year now. And you sound like you didn't actually grow up in St Kilda. So tell us about your background, you, you and your husband. Yeah, I forget that um, I don't sound like everybody else. So, yes, my husband and I, um, we're English. We are both from the UK, uh, came over here. I came over here. Oh, 20 years ago now, um, did the whole backpacking thing before I went to uni, absolutely loved it. Um, kind of stepped off the plane and saw what I think English people expect Australia to be like. It was very much neighbours, home and away kind of territory for me. Um, went back home, did my degree and always had the dream to come back. But, you know, studies got in the way and career started and then later down the line, I met Chris and still had the bug that I wanted to come back. So said to him, Let, let's do it. And I was really fortunate that a, a role came up in my then retail job that allowed us to come over here on a nine month secondment. So we came out here, we worked for six months and then traveled for three months. Uh, Chris fell in love with with Australia and with particularly Melbourne too. So we went home, applied for our visas and came back in 2015. Wow, such a great story. And uh, tell us a bit about your your skills and your careers because, um, yeah, you, you mentioned retail. Tell us about Chris. Yeah, so Chris is a qualified chef of over 20 years. So he is definitely the uh, mastermind behind the menu. He um, has worked across a broad range of restaurants, um, normally in the head chef role. He's done the executive head chef role before. So he um, he's worked across like Italian restaurants, things like that in the UK. Then we came here um, the first time, funnily enough, he worked in St Kilda. So he worked in clay pots. Um, and then after that, took a role in Anglesey at one of the hotels down there. Um, so he's had a good bit of experience, I guess, across, well, across the UK and Australia, but then across different varieties of, of menus and foods. But his passion to eat and to cook is definitely seafood. So that was where the menu came into play. 
Yeah, so interesting. Um, I mean, Clay Pots is such an iconic seafood restaurant in St Kilda and Anglesey, a popular destination, especially at this time of year, just at the start of the Great Ocean Road. Um, Rach, you mentioned your retail history. Tell us about the job that you came to Melbourne to do. Yes, I originally was working for a little um, clothing boutique in the UK. They were at the time expanding over here. So I came out in kind of a training and mentoring role. So they had a little store opening in Melbourne Central, but they also then opened a concession within Maya. So at the time, I didn't really know what Maya was, to be honest. I just knew that it was a department store in Australia. Um, It didn't take long for me to realise how iconic that that business is. Um, So yeah, I got to work in my Melbourne as the little concession manager while we were here on the secondment. And then when we came back in 2015, uh, there was a role available in that store as the assistant store manager, um, which I was lucky enough to get the job and then later become promoted to store manager. So yeah, got to work in a very, very iconic business within Melbourne. Feel very fortunate to have done that. Learn a lot. Um, kind of thought I knew it all in the UK around, you know, employment law and just everything that retail is. But you forget how far away Australia is from the rest of the world. And it, it is very different. So I had a lot to learn. And it was a great business to to learn and update those skills in. Wow, that's so interesting. I mean, how many people were you um, responsible for at Maya Melbourne when you were manager? Maya Melbourne has about oh, like up to a thousand people working in there. When you look at Maya team members, all the brand partners that work in there, the contractors that come through the door. So it's it's a big boy. <laughs> Yeah, really big. Um, And I think so many people in Melbourne feel like they've got a stake in that business. I mean, you know, thinking about, you know, we just passed Christmas. What was it like um, around, you know, the the windows and then the Boxing Day sales? What was the sort of ebb and flow of that period? That is my favourite day to work. Boxing Day, I really miss not doing it now. Um, it, It was crazy in the best way um even the windows again that that isn't something you know retail christmas in retail is something that you get in every retail business the windows is very very unique to maya in particular and to the melbourne to the burke street store um i guess probably the whole of my job from december onwards came around managing that queue there would be conversations around it every day I know I follow local Facebook groups you know mums looking for things to do with their kids in this in December in the Christmas period and it's all around how big the queue is and what time does it start and when you get there like it's it's exciting I love to be a part a part of that but you're absolutely right in what you said about everybody feeling like they have a stake in my, I don't think I realised, well, I definitely didn't know it until I was here. Everybody you meet has worked in Maya Melbourne or know someone who worked in Maya Melbourne or has a story to tell you about the first time they went shopping there. It's it's a huge part of Melbournians' um, lives, I think. Yeah, absolutely true. And uh, you mentioned that the employment landscape is quite different here from the UK. I mean, what are some of the main differences? Um, I think things like um, like a casual. When I first came to Australia, I didn't know what a casual was. We don't have a casual contract in the UK. Um, so that was very different for me to have this person that could work for you that, you know, they weren't obligated to commit to certain hours. But as the employer, you weren't either. I found that very strange. Um, and 
And it was quite difficult to work with in the beginning because I was used to people having set contracts and they knew that they, you know, they had to work X amount of hours a week. Of course, they could be available for overtime or not, but you knew that you'd got that base kind of um, contract tied in. Um, the penalty rates, that's something that's quite different to the UK. Um, so I guess just just getting your head around that very quickly. I joined Maya at Christmas. So I had to very, very quickly find my feet with what the rules were um, because it, it, it was so different. Wow, that's amazing. That's Yeah, it's much more different than I would have imagined as well. So yeah, I can imagine that's a massive learning curve. What, what about the change from running this massive store to starting your own small business? I mean, what are the similarities and differences? The similarities, I think, take me back to um, my younger days running smaller boutiques where as a boutique manager you were responsible for kind of everything like recruiting the team running the payroll um, maybe changing the mannequins in the window you like you did everything whereas then when you get to a large store like Maya you have a team of you know you might have three or four people in an office who solely run compliance for you or solely run security or payroll so I think the similarities with our small business were going back to what I'd first learned. Um, and I guess things that are challenging are that everything is reliant on you in the small business. And sometimes you, you know, you have this business plan because that's been second nature to me to do that for so many years. And I know that these are the things I want to do in the next three to six months. But in reality, I very often don't cross those things off the list because something happens and it pushes your things further down the tick list. If somebody leaves your business or there's a new ruling comes into place, it's up to you to kind of investigate all the information around that and make sure you're doing the right thing. Again, if I think about Maya, you know, you'd get an email from head office saying here's, you know, here's a law that's changed today or here's the pay rate that's changed today. That's very much on you to go and check in a small business there's kind of no one no one that drip feeds that information to you um so i guess sometimes that can be a frustration because it can really slow down what what you would like to do but then i think the wins kind of outweigh that as well because when you do get something across the line you know that you've really you've done that all you've achieved it all by yourself Mm, interesting. And what about the difference between retail and hospitality generally or specifically? I mean, is I'm sure, you know, Chris has come home over the years and said, oh, this happened, that happened. But is it different to be really embedded in food and drink? I think they're actually very similar. Like they're both known to not have the best pay across both categories. They're both known for um, people in both industries to work really hard. You know, things, days that traditionally lots of other people get off, so public holidays, weekends, they're the busiest days in retail, retail and hospitality. Um, so I actually find that they're very, very similar and they both really boil back down to customer service. They both rely so heavily on customers obviously coming into their businesses and the service that you provide. Um, so I actually find that they're, they're very, very similar. Mm, that's really interesting. And what do you think about my view that Fish and Chips was due for an update? Do you feel like, how do you feel about what you're offering as part of that sort of general food by the beach sort of scenario? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, we were a little bit nervous um, to not, I guess, be a, a fish and chip vendor there. We were kind of like, is this what we should do instead of the lobster roll? Um, I know as part of our tender application, um, we had to ensure that we weren't obviously encroaching on any neighbouring businesses and that we were adding, I guess, an extra level as opposed to taking business from someone else. Um, and that there are so many great options for fish and chips down there already. We kind of don't want to redo what's already being done. So I guess we took a bit of a chance and we said, look, we'll we'll shy away from that and we'll go with the lobster roll and the half grilled lobster and we'll, you know, we'll stick to, I guess, seafood. Um, and so far that seems to, to be working for us. Tell us about some of the other dishes that you offer. The menu's pretty tight, but then it, there, there's variety as well. Yeah, it's um, we're obviously really limited on space, so we have to keep it pretty niche. Um, so the lobster roll definitely is the main the main dish, I would say, but we do then offer a king prawn roll. It's kind of Asian-inspired, has a bit of a kick to it, um, just so that we've got the balance of two options. Not everybody loves the lobster roll. Uh, we do the half grilled lobster then. Um, I think that just probably has a little more, bit more substance to that dish. Uh, we do a variety of ob oysters. So we, you know, we sell heaps of them just as, as they come natural. But then we also do them with like a champagne mignonet, like a, a Thai inspired Namjim um, sauce or one with the Yaravala caviar. So I guess there's just a few options across there. We have a scallop dish, we have a tiger prawn dish. There's just a few different things. Um, we When we first wrote the menu, the idea was that people could come and order several things and share them as opposed to just ordering something for yourself. And I think that's kind of how it still works. Kind of perfect if you're looking for that little beach picnic um, you can drop in any time of day. It doesn't matter if it's like a meal time or it's in between and you're just taking a stroll on the beach. There's something there to suit you. Mm, yeah, great. Well, I came by recently and I had a few scallops. I was just by myself. I was right on a little bike ride. I thought, oh, I'll just have a few scallops for the road and then rode my bike down towards um, Port Melbourne and then rode back and then had a roll. So, yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, it all worked out very well. Uh, Graceland is really interesting. So just over the Westgate Bridge um, in Spotswood, Graceland is a, I, it, I guess a f it's a food park where there are lots of vendors that similar to you might see in food trucks, but they're all gathered together and there's music and it's a bit of a visitor experience. I find that such an interesting model for hospitality. Can you tell me about how you got into, into there and what the experience is like to be there yeah um so yeah you're absolutely right it i guess it is like a food food park um and graceland were taking applications for that oh, way back i think 2018 we might have started our application um they were really taking on established businesses at the time for obvious reasons that they wanted kind of draw cards to bring people in there but as a kind of give back to community, they wanted to offer one of the spots to a startup business. So we applied as a then, we didn't even have the business then, we were going to start it up just for Graceland if we got accepted, uh, which we did. So that's how we came came to be. So I think we'll always be really grateful to Graceland that um, that that was the start of Claw and Tail. Um, and it's, 
yeah, it's a great experience in there. There's there's roughly 50 vendors in there. The menus are really kind of tight because there's no overlap between the vendors, um, obviously, so that there's no no crazy competition, but more so for customers coming in that they're getting a wide variety of food offerings and there's no kind of double ups. Um, and then, as you said, there's the added benefit. They've got the main stage there. They have different local acts coming through. You've got through the other side, there's a great view out over the Westgate. So there's kind of something for everyone. I think, you know, it's great for families. It's great for couples. It's great for large groups. The same thing around sharing. You can kind of go in there and, you know, order a heap of stuff between a group and you're not having to decide, you know, who who doesn't like something or checking that the menu has something for everyone. That there, there literally is something for everyone in there. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting. One of my... Uh, I suppose key criteria for assessing a restaurant or a food business of any sort is: Are they clear about what who they are? Are they clear about their through line? What they're trying to present to their customers or potential customers? I mean, do you feel like something like the way that you got into Grazeland, where you knew you couldn't encroach on other people's territory, but you wanted to offer something really specific and different? Did that really help you hone the idea for your business? Yeah, I think it did. We actually submitted a much larger menu in the beginning and probably being a little bit naive as a startup hadn't realized that we probably didn't have the space to do that or like how that would have worked and it it actually really worked in our favor um having that smaller offering we can very quickly see what customers like from us occasionally we'll trial a special or do something a bit different for a particular weekend and it's it's really interesting to see we we try to be customer led and obviously deliver what our customers want and it really does help having i guess that niche menu um it it keeps us from kind of trying to offer too many things and going off brand it keeps us real to who we are Mm, yeah, it's it's really interesting. It's almost like I feel like people starting a new business should almost imagine themselves in that position and it might help them really focus on, yeah, what it is that they want to do that stands out. I think so because when you start up, like probably something that I did that wasn't the right thing, I, I want to please all our customers. So if a customer kind of calls up and says, hey, we're coming in a group but someone in our group doesn't like seafood, what, what do you have? I've said to Chris, you know what, we should be offering whatever it is so that we can capture this other customer. And that's happened across lots of different scenarios where I've kind of wanted to say we should, like bookings is a great example. Again, my customer service background, I have customers calling up and they say, I want to make a booking. And in the beginning, I was like, this is the right thing to do. We want to make that booking for that customer. And then they come along and they know that they've got the table. But actually, because the space in St Kilda is so tight, we were finding then we were holding a table and other customers were coming along and couldn't sit on it. And we were actually probably disappointing more walking customers than delighting the one that had made the bucket. So it actually turns out that that isn't the right decision for us. But I'd gone about it trying to please a customer in, in the beginning. So I think sometimes it's okay to say no to things that you're being asked to do and just to stick to stick to to what you know that is such an amazing lesson wow it's yeah really really quite profound to to come to that and um yeah because you yeah you want to say yes but in the end you don't realize that saying yes there means that you're actually saying no later on 
Yeah, it, we've definitely... Um, it's been a good year in St Kilda, but it, it's been um, one of trial and error as well. And sometimes things have seemed disappointing to us um, because, you know, we've tried to do something then maybe it hasn't worked. But actually... I think it's it's a good thing ultimately because you really learn what does work for your location. Again, St Kilda is different to Graysland. You wouldn't think it. They're only kind of the bridge apart, but because of the makeup of both businesses and where they are and who's coming in, it is different. Um, so it's just working out what works well for each one. And you mentioned, you know, when, when you have a win, you know, it's because you created it. I mean, what are some of the really great moments? What, what, do, you, what do you love? What makes you smile about being there? Um, I think you have to take a lot of risks in a small business. And they're obviously risks that you're backing financially yourself with your own time. Um, so they're disappointing when, and they hurt when they don't pay off, but when they do, um, it's, it's great. I think things like um, we started doing a bit of eventing a couple of years ago. We've done some tiny events. We've done some big events. And um, it's just finding out the ones that work for us. So not last year, the year before we did the Melbourne show. Again, very iconic. Um, we kind of felt like as food retailers, if we were going to do pop-ups, that was one that we wanted to do. Um, we did Paran Market as well. So we know that... Um, when we've done things like that and the great feedback we've had, they've definitely been wins for us because we know that the food doesn't just work for Graysland. We knew that it was going to be a hit in St Kilda because anywhere we'd kind of taken it on the road had been a win. Um, but I think ultimately it's that win. We have three children, Chris and I, um, and it's true what they say. When, when you make a sale like in a big restaurant or a big store, that money's going off corporate wherever – when someone makes a sale in a small business, you know, they're paying for our kids swimming lessons or dance lessons or whatever it might be like that. That's what I think is exciting. Wow. That's really direct. Um, Rach, such a great chat. Really, um, thank you for your time and yeah, all the experience you're able to bring to this small business, um, which yeah, is there to delight customers. Um, thank you so much for sharing your story with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you for inviting me in. This is Dirty Linen and I'm Danny Vallant. We air the issues that the hospitality industry finds hard to talk about, hearing from different people with unique perspectives. We want to hear from you as well. If you have something that needs to be said about a topic, get in touch so we can include your perspective. Contact us at dirtylinen at deepintheweeds.com.au or hit us up on Insta at Dirty Linen Podcast. We can't wait to hear from you. This is a Deep in the Weeds production.